Well, happy Mother's Day. It's so good to have you guys with us as we worship the Lord today, but also as we celebrate moms and the role that they have played in our lives. Uh, this is a holiday that is celebrated differently around the world. I heard this week that it is the uh, single highest day for phone calls to take place in the United States. It's because we want to be able to connect with our mothers no matter where they are. Uh, Mother's Day, though, is celebrated in different places, different times, and in different ways. Uh, for example, in Thailand, it is in August, and it's celebrated on the birthday of their queen. In Ethiopia, each fall, there is a multi-day celebration for mothers that includes a whole lot of singing and a whole lot of eating. Now, that's the kind of Mother's Day I want to celebrate. Uh, in England, for example, is the first place where typically a type of Mother's Day was celebrated. It was called Mothering Day, though, and it really wasn't directed toward the mother, but rather it was a call for those to come back to their mother church. Technically, in the United States, uh, the practice of Mother's Day uh, began in 1908 when a young lady by the na name of Anna Jarvis organized celebrations in both West Virginia and in Philadelphia. There had been others who had pushed for such a day in the past, but this was the movement that would eventually take root in America. By the way, it took about 40 years of her pushing before the United States actually accepted Mother's Day. What's so intriguing to me is the original purpose of Anna Jarvis's Mother's Day emphasis. In the uh, early 1860s, she began organizing Mother's Day work clubs for the purpose of training mothers how to properly care for their children. And in 1868, she began Mother's Friendship Day gatherings for the purpose of bringing former Union and Confederate soldiers together around their mothers in the hopes of reconciliation. What I would suggest today is that reconciliation is still a primary value in celebrating Mother's Day. There is so much division in today's society, yet there are certain times of the year that we tend to make amends. Mother's Day is one of those times. Brothers and sisters force themselves to get along with one another, and children attempt to make peace with their mom. My personal favorite is the fact that Mother's Day might be the only time of year that families get to come to church together. Well, today's message isn't really about Mother's Day. It's about having a ministry of reconciliation. And although reconciliation was a part of the early practices of Mother's Day, the truth is that reconciliation is a biblical principle that all of us need to be able to experience. Look with me, if you would, in our passage today. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 11 through 15. Now, in my Bible, the actual subheading for this passage is the ministry of reconciliation. And as we look at it, we'll see two primary forms of reconciliation. One is between humanity and God, and the other is between individuals, man to man, woman to woman, the people whom God has put in our lives. Look at it with me this morning. It says this beginning in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. 
What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I will tell you that it is likely that as Paul wrote this, he is writing to a specific audience as there were those who likely were making objections to Paul and his ministry. And it's almost a sense of justifying what is taking place. But I also want you to recognize that this applies with us as the body of Christ. Note that this act of reconciliation that we see here, there is the assumption that there has already been reconciliation between the audience and God. In fact, it starts by identifying a fear of the Lord that we all should have. That's not the kind of fear where we're anticipating punishment so much as it's the kind of fear where we realize that we don't deserve to be in God's presence. It's a sense of awe and respect. But what does it truly mean for us to be reconciled to God? First note that this act of reconciliation is incredibly important. According to 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul pleads with his audience to be reconciled Unto God. He sees this act of reconciliation as a necessary thing, primarily because he understands the brokenness of humanity. Remember, Paul was one who defines himself as the chief of sinners. He was one who not only insulted those who would follow Christ, but he stood in the way of them, persecuting them, attempting to have them arrested so that they might be killed. He understands the brokenness of humanity. Why? Because He himself was broken. In recent weeks, we've talked about the wages of sin being death. But there's more to the wages of sin than death. Death is a horrible thing, and it does come as a result of sin. What's more significant is the separation from God, which occurs through sin. Sin separates God from mankind. Sure, I know what some of you guys are thinking. God's love is eternal, and it will continue to be offered And I will tell you that God's love is eternal and it will continue to be offered. But the reality is that God hates sin. He wants nothing to do with it. And as a result of sin's presence, mankind is unable to truly experience intimacy with God. It's as if there is a chasm between us and God. Chasm is a word that we used to use often. It means a great divide, something that is beyond just being able to skip over. It's not like a little puddle in the way. It's actually a river between us and God. Luke 16 tells the story of a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. Many of you probably remember it. The story is about eternity, about what happens after we die. The rich man finds himself in hell and Lazarus finds himself in a place known as Abraham's bosom, or in essence, he is in paradise. Well, there's more to the story than this, but we're told that there is a great chasm fixed between the two. 
Well, hell is a place that is completely absent of God. And those who spend eternity there will eternally be separated from God. You know, I mentioned that there is a great chasm that exists between mankind and God. You see it before we die and after we die. But there's a big difference between the two. The passage in Luke 16 tells us that there is a great chasm that is fixed. In other words, it cannot be undone. It's not something that it's there for a time and then it can be removed. I will tell you that in this life, that chasm is not set in stone. Instead, God desires that we be reconciled to him and brought back into a right relationship with him. That means the chasm is removed. Where does that begin? First, we must admit that there is a problem in the first place. If you know that sin is what has separated you from God, then confess that sin to the Lord. He already knows all about your sin anyways. He hates it. But taking responsibility for our actions is always the first step. Next, get away from that sin. It's not enough to admit that you've done something wrong. It's not enough to say that you're sorry. You must turn from that sin. If you know that God and all of his righteousness, that his hatred of sin is what has caused you separation from God, then logically you should get away from that sin so that that chasm would no longer exist. And finally, if you are truly to be reconciled to God, then you must, and this is the one I want you to catch, because I think for far too many of us, we have skipped over this one. We've admitted, we've confessed our sin. We have asked God to forgive us of our sin. But we have not done this next one, which is we must then begin to follow Christ with everything that we have. We cannot continue to remain in the same sin that we were once in, but rather we must now pursue Christ with everything. Paul says that some have accused he and other disciples, saying that they were out of their minds. You know what he basically says here? So what? We do it for God. Sometimes we want to pursue Christ, but we won't, don't want it to be offensive. We don't want it to... Uh, appear as if we're going overboard. You know, we don't want to look like fanatics. There are other people, we look at them, and they're the fanatics. I don't want to be like those people. Paul says, so what if I am? What matters is I am giving everything of myself to God, and I am going to pursue him with everything that I have. Specifically relating to Paul, that is typical of who he was. This was a man who gave everything that he had to pursuing his version of righteousness until he met Christ and realized his version of righteousness was nothing but filthy rags. Now, as he pursues Christ, he pursues with everything that he has because he knows that Jesus Christ is the only one who's worth living for. He notes that the reason for his faith is because of what Christ has already done for us. And what difference did it make? Well, now he no longer lives for himself. Instead, he lives for the one who died and rose again. This is the act of reconciliation with God. He was once divided. Now he is made right with him. You know, over the past couple of weeks, 
we've looked at a bold kind of love which God offers to us. A love that goes beyond our comprehension. And of course, last week we looked at how that bold love should lead us to a bold kind of faith that speaks the truth of that love to the world around us. Well, today what I want you to see is that Christ's bold love ought to compel us. It ought to overwhelm us so much so that it leads us to live a bold life. It's not necessarily just about what we say, but it's about what we do, how we live. We must be people who are changed by the bold love of Jesus Christ. The second aspect of reconciliation, though, is not just about us and God, but it's about us and mankind. Have you ever wronged your brother or maybe your sister or your husband or your wife? Maybe you felt that weight of shame or regret. Maybe you felt justified by it because of poor choices that he or she has made somewhere along the way. Or maybe you blamed them because they needed to get thicker skin. Or they were simply reading too much into it. Either way, you felt the tension between the two of you. You knew that it was there. Or perhaps it was, uh, it's been someone else who has created that tension for you. You've tried to be gracious, but his or her attitude or choices has caused a problem. And because of that, you're angry, you're bitter. He or she has said some things that have hurt you, and it's not your fault. I will agree, first of all, it's not your fault. Sometimes what happens to us is the result of other individuals making poor choices, and we simply have to deal with the consequences of it. But you know that the tension is still there. You can feel it. In those circumstances, whether you're at fault or someone else is at fault, reconciliation is necessary. You know what the scriptures say. First, we are told to be in the world, but not of the world. I know we often take that verse and we look at it as telling us that we shouldn't get too attached to the world. But the fact is that we are expected to live in this world. And as such, we need to be good stewards with the relationships that we have in this world. Romans 12, 18 says that, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, in order to live at peace with our world, often reconciliation must first take place. How does that happen? It happens the same way reconciliation occurs between us and God. Start by taking responsibility. Own the problem. If you yourself have wronged another, you need to go to the individual and you need to confess. You need to admit your own faults and recognize that it was your choice that put this in place. Maybe it was carelessness. You ever said something and you thought afterwards, I can't believe I said that. It's like putting toothpaste back in the tube. You can't get it back in. You can't get those words back in your mouth. Once they're out there, the damage is done. So take responsibility. Confess, admit where you have fallen short. Ask for forgiveness. And then choose not to offend again. Now it may be that reconciliation doesn't happen immediately. 
You may do the things that I just mentioned, admitting, asking for forgiveness, choosing not to uh, do the same things over again. You may do all of those things, yet the other person is not yet ready to let it go. Our first thought is, well, I said sorry, and now if they don't forgive me, it's on them. And that may be true, but it also may not be true. Romans 12, 18 again says, as far as it depends on you. That means that you need to ask yourself if saying sorry was really enough to make up for the wrong that you've done. Often we have caused such pain and sorrow in people's lives that saying sorry is simply not enough for them to realize that you mean it. Sometimes we need to do something beyond that. I hate admitting my own failures and shortcomings. When I was uh, in high school, the very I got a, a job. Actually, my first job, I stayed there for two days. I was at Poe Folks, and in Virginia, you have to be 16 to work. And I was 15, and nobody ever said anything. I worked for two days, and uh, the manager had me filling out stuff. And he looked, and he said, you're not 16. I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, you can't work anymore. So I got fired two days into the job. It was ridiculous. My second job, though, after I turned 16, was at a drugstore. I remember on the very first night of work, I was being trained by one of my fellow high school students, and he trained me not only on the things that I was supposed to do, but how to get away with doing the things I wasn't supposed to do. What happened was over the period of the next year or so, and my kids are probably sitting here thinking, Dad, you never told us that, and it's because I don't talk about this often. But over the next year or so, I probably stole between fifteen dollars and $20,000 worth of product from that store. Basically, we learned that you could void out receipts and you could do all kinds of other stupid things to cover up for the wrong that you were doing. There were cameras in the store, but there were no tapes, and we knew that we could take basically whatever we wanted, and we did. I remember after I came to Christ being weighed down with a feeling of guilt and shame. I went off to college, came down here to Southern Wesleyan University, and I regretted what I did. I remember having to go back to my manager, who was still working at the place, and confess to him what I had done and offer to pay restitution to make up for the wrong that had taken place. You don't understand how difficult that is knowing that there's always the possibility he could say you know what let me call the police right now instead what he told me he said what's in the past is in the past you are forgiven he said you don't have to pay any restitution he said he couldn't believe that I actually came back and admitted (laughs) what I had done I will tell you, there are times that simply saying sorry is enough, but there are times that we need to go further. Just because you said sorry does not mean that it's up to them now. Sometimes it's up to us to make things right. I'm grateful for grace, and we all need grace. But understand, sometimes making reconciliation with other people requires us going just a little bit further. I started out today by talking about the history of Mother's Day. Remember that Anna Jarvis initially used it as a tool to help bring reconciliation. 
to former Union and Confederate soldiers. The fighting had been over for years, but there was still a great chasm between the two. Moms who are present today, I implore you to become those vessels of reconciliation in your family. Begin by helping them to be reconciled to God. Keep in mind what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. It's addressed to fathers and mothers, but the point is that this is the most important responsibility you will ever have as a parent. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, in everything you do, your greatest responsibility is to point your children to Christ. It should happen when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down. In other words, in everything you do, know that your children must be responsible for their own choices. But moms need to do their part. In doing this, you will help your children to be reconciled to God. But also consider the role you play in reconciling your family to one another. Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5 is an uncomfortable passage. Our society doesn't like it, but it calls upon the older women in the family to lead by example and to teach their children and grandchildren the way to live. Listen to the words. Try not to be offended. I am simply reading the scripture. Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. As I read that, I also understand there are other passages that call on the husband to do certain things. You will hear about that on Father's Day. But this passage deals with the role that a woman must play. It deals with specific relationships and specific issues. But the point is that mothers have a natural ability to lead their children. Make good use of that ability. For all those people out there, who have had a mother, whether she's alive today or not, let me call on your, your attention. Let me bring it back to the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The best way to honor your mother and your father is to live a life that is first reconciled to God. The second best way to honor your mother and father is to live a life that is reconciled to man. Some of us will bring division, not if we're in the body of Christ. We ought to be agents of peace and grace within our world. 
as we are reconciled to God, it is only natural that we will bring with us a heart of reconciliation between us and mankind. If you have an offense against a brother, go and deal with it. If you have offended another, go and deal with it. You be an agent of reconciliation in the lives of other people. And in doing so, what will happen is people will look at you and think, what a great heritage he or she must have. We must be reconciled to God, but also to man. As we celebrate Mother's Day, how will you honor your mother today? Say, my mom died already, so... Pastor, I'm not sure this applies to me. Let me suggest to you this will always apply to you. For you will either honor your mother or you will dishonor your mother by the way you live your life. Make sure that you honor her today. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we thank you that reconciliation has been made possible through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that where we have allowed sin to take place and allowed that great chasm to form between us and you, that today you would tear down the wall of sin. Lord, I pray that today as we confess our sin to you, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all that unrighteousness, burying that chasm, filling it in so we can walk clearly straight to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in a way, to live in a way that that chasm would never again be present within our lives. Lord, I pray for our relationships with other people as well, though. Lord, as we are reconciled to you, I pray that you would cause us to also be reconciled to those in our lives. At times we have fallen short. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness first. Thank you for your grace. Now I ask that you would help us to make things right between us and our brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that you would grant forgiveness and grace but also grant within us a constitution to never go back to that same way of doing things. But allow us to be transformed so that we don't have to continually be reconciled back to our brothers and sisters because we keep doing the same things over and over again. Lord, allow us to be changed. As we do so, Lord, I pray that we might honor our mothers and fathers. Lord, you are a great and gracious God. Help us to honor you in the way we live. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I've shared this at funerals, and in just a moment we're going to, uh, this is not a solemn thing, this is actually a great thing. I shared this at funerals. Um, when me and my brother were young, we used to do stuff all the time, and uh, one of the things we loved to do was to uh, go to a nearby pond where we would fish and play in the water and do all kinds of stuff, catch animals. One of the things we got really good at was skipping rocks. And eventually, we got pretty good at it. You could take those thin, flat rocks, skip it four or five, maybe even seven or eight, nine times before it would disappear into the water. Sometimes you take those big, fat ones, and it didn't matter what you did. It just disappeared into the water. 
But without fail, every single time, those rocks would disappear into the water and we would no longer see the rock. But we would continue to see the ripple effect that would go out long after that rock disappeared. In many ways, you are the ripple effect of your mother. You be that ripple effect. You are what she leaves behind, her legacy. My hope is that your mom's still here and she's going to be here for another 40, 50, 60 years. Your mom's probably thinking, I hope not, Pastor. (laughs) I'm telling you that no matter how long it is, you are the ripple effect of her life. Live like it. Honor her in the way you do. I would like to take a moment, and we are going to recognize those who are mothers in a little bit of a unique way. We have a gift for you today, and we have a bunch of children that are out in the foyer, and they're going to come in here, and they're going to give you guys some gifts. Can you do me a favor? If you're a mother, would you simply stand, and we want to celebrate you and say thanks, and then the children will come in. Would you stand for us if you're a mother? Here they come. Just to give you a heads up, what they are giving to each of the mothers is a journal. Um, and it is, uh, actually, we, we joked about possibly getting like a coloring book because that has become the big thing that all of a sudden all these adults are using crayons and uh, their, their colored pencils, whatever. Um, anyways, but this is a way to encourage you. It's a, a small uh, journal for each of the mothers. Uh, has everyone received their gift already? Got a couple in the back in the middle section that did not receive them. What I will also, yeah, once you've gotten it, you can be seated. It's okay. Although I'm going to make you stand up just after that because we're going to leave. So, Once everyone has received those, we will pray and uh, you'll be dismissed. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. Thank you for bringing each one that has come today. Lord, help us as we go out to be your instruments. Thank you for our moms. Help us to honor them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Go in peace.